Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we can continue to gather together during this time with our brothers and sisters of old, those of us that are new to our community. We pray that you would meet us here and somehow by your grace speak to us through the scripture that we've read, through the words of my mouth, through the songs that we'll sing, through the prayers that we'll pray and transform us into your love and your body in the world. Amen. Amen. Well, before I unpack uh, this scripture for a little bit, I want to, for a moment, um, discredit myself. Um, and what I mean by that is that I uh, watched a movie yesterday. We went to go see the new Trolls movie with the kids. Yeah, I know. Some of you, Bethany's like, oh, gross. But well, it, was, it was a cute movie, and I wasn't planning on this portion of my sermon before I went to the movie, but after, I just couldn't help myself. Because in the movie, they have these little troll characters, and this is the third one, and one of the main characters is played by Justin Timberlake, or he's like, that's the voice and the singer behind it. And of course, my kids don't really know who Justin Timberlake is, and they had no idea that he was in a boy band. Name the boy band. Anyone? sync. Okay, there we go. Some of us knew he was in the boy band sync. And when he was in it at the end of the movie, I'm not going to spoil anything, he, he put, busts out this reference throughout the movie that they had about his hair and how he had frosted tips and how um, that was like the cool thing in the 90s. And uh, my kids are like, what is happening right now? We don't get it. So can you show the picture right here? And this is why I discredit myself. So this is my senior photo. And they had no idea what frosted tips were. And don't worry, I had frosted tips. And I, I rocked them for the 90s and into the 2000s. And it was just, look, I even have the Birkenstock shoes. They're even worth more now, I think. They valued up. So, you know, this was me and all of my, got my, it's not the WWJD bracelet, but it was like close, right? I mean, this was 90s Christian small town culture at its finest right here. And don't worry. I had frosted tips. So, I, I mean, I, I use that as an example because have any of you looked back at your senior photos lately from when you were in high school? Or perhaps it was your wedding photos and you looked and you're just like, what was I thinking? The whole car ride home after the movie yesterday, Ashley, you know, ex my wife explained to my kids how like weird I was that I had these frosted tips that she knew about. Thankfully, I got rid of them. Otherwise, I don't think she ever would have started dating me if I had those. But like, we did things when we were kids that were just kind of like, we look back and we're like, ah, that, that's just so bizarre. Or, you know, like as a youth, you're so like, I, I thought it looked so cool, right? And now I'm like, uh, I, I don't know about that. Because the, the older we get, I think the more we kind of look back at that period in our lives, or the older I get, the more I look back at that period of my life, and I just wonder what my decision-making was, right? I mean, I would, you'd see me at my cross-country meets, and I was really passionate. I'd just uh, become a Christian, so everywhere I went, whenever it was across, I had this giant Jesus shirt on, no matter where I went, because I really wanted to, to show people that I was a Christian, and I was doing good things, and like, I had all of these like things that I was just so excited about. And I remember when I was leading this weekend retreat, um, I was leading this weekend retreat with these other youth, and I mentioned it last week about kind of like, it's kind of like the walk to Emmaus. Some of us uh, at our church know of this program here in Hawaii, but it's just for youth and it's in Southern Minnesota. And we go to these local churches and we kind of take over and then we would lead uh, this sort of spiritual experience for other youth. And, um, and we were convinced that we knew all the things, right? Like all things about faith and all the things about like what it means to follow Jesus. And there is this one pastor 
who we were convinced was like the Grinch who stole Christmas, right? Like she just like had nothing positive to say about our theology and all of these things. And like, she kept correcting us when we would try to like say, well, we think it's like this. And she's like, no. Um, turns out she was a United Methodist pastor in my hometown. And as I reflected on it, um, but like now I look at what she was saying. I remember the words that she was saying. And I'm like, you know, she actually wasn't too far off uh, in her theological vision. I think it was more me that was kind of on the like, yeah, the kind of outskirts of the theology town. Because I was a youth and I was just excited about Jesus and excited about sharing what Jesus was about. And I think for uh, many of us, we like look at that season and we think we're passionate about this, that, and the other. And we, you know, have aged ourselves a little bit. And I know some of you look at me and you're like, you know, Brian, what are you talking about? Like, these years. You know, I have this one uh, thing about my profession that's so interesting is that everyone sees me as super young, super young. Like at the minute I walked into the pulpit for the first time after divinity school was downtown Chapel Hill. And like people thought I was just like a child. I look young and I know that. And this this weird thing. Everyone imagines a pastor being kind of like a uh, non-holiday version of Santa Claus, right? Yeah. Big, burly guy with a belly, you know, and a beard. In fact, when I was living in Japan teaching English, they have these like wedding venues, right, where they go and of course not Christian people getting married, but they go and want to have their Western style wedding. And even though I was, you know, leader in the church, I would never have been able to fit that role because it had to be this, I remember this is a big Irish guy and he was just like exactly fit. He's got the beard and everything, where's the robe? You know, like that's what people envision when they have a pastor. And so whenever I say I'm a pastor, like, you know, if someone's older than me, nine times out of 10, it's like, oh, but you're so young, right? Like you're so young. And this year, I'm, I feel like I'm getting old, right? Because I'm turning 40 this year. My parents are turning 70 this year. I know some of you are like 40. It's just so young. But friends, I remember the birthday card my mom got my dad when he turned 40. Yeah, I remember specifically. She made lobster because that's his favorite food. And she gave him a card of this guy like up at the top of a hill <laughs> and just said like, you're over the hill. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so old, right? And now here I am about to turn 40 and I'm looking back at my senior photos. I'm trying to explain to my kids what the heck a boy band is, let alone frosted tips. And I just feel like so removed from that time period. And so when I look at the youth of our day, it's easy for me to kind of hear narratives, right? Because I've heard them for a long time about millennials, and now it's not even millennials, it's Gen Zers. Gen Zers are a generation of our society that don't know a time without an iPhone. They're the people that were born 1996 and after. And so the internet and mobile devices have been their world that they've lived in. And they're now like 18 and 19 years old. And they're starting to move into college and the job markets and all these things. And, and there's all sorts of like interesting, like, how are they going to be? What are they going to be like? What are they going to do? And it's so easy, especially now that I'm 40, to look at those who are younger and, you know, think about all the things that they do differently and 
worse, right? Like, oh, I, I can't believe they don't even know how to like use an encyclopedia or go to the library because they just have grown up with Google. I mean, now they're just using AI to write their papers. I remember painstakingly doing my papers on my computer. And some of you were like, yeah, we had a typewriter. And some of you were like, yeah, and we didn't even have a typewriter. Like, I get it. You, we always look at that generation that's younger and we do that. And I'm using that narrative and kind of pulling myself out of that youth and the distance from it, because that is what Paul is talking to in this passage. Paul is writing a passage to Timothy. Kind of his one of Timothy and Titus would kind of go around to some of the communities and support the communities. He was a, a leader for the Apostle Paul in this new church that he had been starting. And you can't help but hear that same sort of skepticism towards this newness that's going on, even in Paul's words. See, because Paul was doing something that no one had ever thought of doing before. I mean, it was like the internet for some of these Judeo Jewish people that had grown up in this small community, because he was saying that you could be faithful. You could be faithful if you didn't follow the Torah to a T. Like, you could be faithful if you ate whatever food was given to you. That was crazy talk for anyone in that time. You could be faithful if you did not follow the Jewish way of life and you were a Gentile. And so in other passages, in like Galatians, he says, neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male or female, we're all one in the body of Christ. And this was kind of a, a parad paradigm shift for people of that time because they had known the Jewish life for so long. And even the earliest Christians, well, the earliest Christians were mostly Jews. And so they, they, they heard these words of Paul about Jesus and embracing us all and reconciling all things, but they were not so sure about all this new age stuff that he's also teaching right? Like, yeah, I can get on the primary message, but I can't get on the rest. And so he, he says in chapter four, you know, you can hear this right at the beginning. He says, all, I mean, some of it's a little bit, uh, you know, like the demons that they're listening to, but it says, through the hypocrisy of the liars whose consciousness is seared with a hot iron, then he goes into the list of some of the Jewish. They forbid marriage. They demand uh, abstinence from certain foods. Like, let me tell you, that everything that God has given is good to eat. That was a radical statement. That wouldn't be too far from telling you, let me tell you, to grow up with an iPhone isn't bad. <laughs> you are not corrupted for life. To, to value things that the youth value is not wrong. It's different and it's hard, but it's not wrong. And he goes on and he keeps telling them, he says, instruct them to do what is most important, to follow Jesus, no matter how it looks. And then I think one of his most powerful ones, and it was certainly for me when I was in high school, was in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. He says, these are the things that you must insist and teach, that you must insist and teach. 
let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And so this Sunday, we've been talking about called to lead. And one of the things that I want to emphasize with an exclamation mark is that in this we're called to lead is that our youth are called to lead. Our youth are called to lead us and they're called to lead the community around us. And the Apostle Paul kind of sets up the stage and he knows that the people that are listening are kind of like viewing his new agey stuff with a little bit of skepticism. And then who's this Timothy kid, right? Like, and what does he have to say? I mean, who's that kid with frosted tips, right? Like, I'm not going to listen to anything that he has to say or whatever. I, I don't know, whatever the trend is, you know, like the kid that has those like rubber boots that they're wearing, you know, that's a trend I think now. Like there's all kinds of trends that are happening, right? And some of the youth in the room are like laughing, like Pastor Brian doesn't even know the trends. I don't, you're right. I don't know him as well. But what I do know is that the perspective of all of us is what's called to lead the church in the world. And I know that one of the um, kind of church consultants that I follow, his name is Kerry Newhoff. He writes about what you would miss if you didn't have youth in leadership. And one of the first ones right off the bat is passion. Like our youth are some of the most passionate people that we meet. And they're passionate about things that sometimes some of us are like, well, I don't know if we need to be passionate, but like the energy that they have can spur us. Youth ask questions, how dare they, about this phrase, it's always been done that way, right? And then they wonder, well, why has it been done that way? They've only been living it for, for a few years, and they, they're curious. And while it might be good that we've done it that way, it also might be good to ask the question, why have we done it like that? And perhaps it might be able to be done differently. And, you know, a lot of us, and I think that one of the things I love about our congregation here at Kailua United Methodist Church is I don't really feel that we are like, you know, we don't, we don't want the youth to lead or we don't love kids. I mean, kids, we have so many kids, like a third of our worshiping congregation are like eighth grade and under. A third. Every time we do statistics, we check you in, right, on Sunday morning. And so we got statistics from that. And a third of us are in this sort of category of young adults and youth and kids, right? And that's amazing. And we prioritize it. And it's been part of our life stream for many years. And we have even people that say to me and they give to specific kids funds and they say they're the next generation and they're not just putting their you know like voice there but they're putting their you know gifts and treasures there to say the next generation will lead us and we've got to invest in them and and so i love this about our congregation and i know that many of us are passionate about it outside of the realm of our sunday morning so if you are youth in the room know that i think that you are capable of leading if you're a young adult, I want to hear your voice on how we might do this thing called church differently. And I want to know what's important in the world around us. And if you find yourself thinking, I too value youth, and I want to you know, support 
the young leaders, the next generation of our church. One of the challenges I kind of, I, I see within uh, society, but then in church is like this like age divide, right? So I, I simply, I put myself out there and I said, started talking about fads that I don't know exist, right? Like, so I feel removed. And I know that some of us are older than me and also feel even more removed. And so they feel like we can't connect and we can't, like, they don't, they, like, we just are so divided that, like, what are we even going to talk about? Well, uh, a few years back, and this is actually it's molding on the side, a long years back, I read this book. I studied youth ministry in undergraduate school. And one of the things I, I loved about working with youth is just the sort of the energy and the passion, all the things that I've mentioned. But I I'd studied it within the evangelical world, and I was taught to like build these big programs that were really exciting and really fun and had a lot of people at them. And then later on, after I graduated undergraduate, one of the professors that moved from my school to uh, Fuller Seminary came out with this book with some colleagues. It's called Sticky Faith. Sticky Faith. And you know what she found out? is she studied, or these authors studied this sort of challenge that like they've been seeing the youth that grow up in the church and then they leave in college and don't come back. They leave in college and there's a, a significant percentage of them. And, and many churches who are passionate about the youth and passionate about kids are wondering, what can we do? Like, how do we do this? And so then they look to the pastor and they say, pastor, we need to like do the program thing. And I studied the program thing and I know how to do the program thing. Um, but then this book changed my my mind on it because what they found was that this problem that we're seeing amongst youth that go off to college and they don't really come back as much is it is universal in the church it doesn't matter if it's a liturgical like episcopal lutheran roman catholic or an evangelical non-denom like big box church that it's similar for both and so what they decided is that we're going to look at well, what is working well. What is working well to lead our, to help our youth lead and to take over in the next generation? And you want to know what they found out? The most important thing for our youth is adults in the lives of youth. Adults that are not their parents. That's it. If we want to know what's going to keep youth leading the church, it's adults in the lives of of youth. And they say it takes five adults to one youth. Five adults to one youth to really help their faith stick from when they were a child to an adolescent to going off. And so those of us that are passionate about the next generation leading the church, it is to be engaging with our youth and with our children. And this can happen in church, but it happens in other realms too. You know, like the people that are going to lead your business, the people that are going to lead your, your like branch of the service are going to be those crazy youth that are like living in the barracks, right? Like they're going to be the next generation of officers. Those that are the interns are going to be the next generation in your offices. Invest in those that are younger, even if you don't think they care. Because what the studies show is they do care. They actually like being around you, even if they pretend they don't. It's the strangest thing. 
even if they look at you and you're like, I don't know any of these fads. I don't know. What are you talking? What's TikTok? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know these things. That doesn't, that, they're not saying that that matters. They're not saying they need five culturally youth competent adults in the lives of all, each and every youth. That's not. And um, I, didn't, I didn't ask, but I'm, I'm sorry, Larry. I'm just going to put Larry on the spot. One of our stories that I love in our church is how Larry Markham, Larry, can you raise, wave your hand like this, Larry? He, he had kind of like just by happenstance started a friendship with uh, Edie and Ashley Evans, who have youth that have been on scholarships with us forever. And, you know, I guarantee you that whenever they come back to Hawaii to visit, Larry, do you get a call from them? And they probably show up in church sitting in pews. And if you wonder, when did Larry's grandkids decide to come? They're not his grandkids. They're church friends. They did lunches and dinners together. And they just built a friendship. And these like college girls that have lots of other things to do decide to invest their time and energy hanging out and having a meal and coming to church with Larry because they love him. And he loves them. And it's a perfect example of how we help the next generation lead, investing in them. And as crazy as those frosted tips will feel, all of us have those crazy fads, right? Don't even look at those pictures from the 70s. I've seen them, right, in the 60s, right? So how do we be a people that is helping the next generation lead? And it starts with youth, know that I value you. Know that the people around me talk about valuing you all the time and young adults. And then similarly, those of us that are older, so those of us that are 40, over the hill as that card said, let's take time to get to know those that are younger to invest in them, to help them feel supported, to help them lead into the next generation. Because I promise you, if Paul wouldn't have done that for Timothy and those early writers, we wouldn't be sitting in these pews today. Because it's the youth that took it to the next generation, and it's the kids so one of my goals at Kailua United Methodist Church or at Charge Conference, I'll mention that later on, is to do more intergenerational ministry, which is where we're not just doing VBS for the kids and youth for the youth and our Methodist Young Fossils for the Methodist Young Fossils, but we're doing more together because we can all grow together. And so in this thing, leading community, let us do it across our generations. And let us value those both young and our kapuna. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, as we look to uh, the future, we pray that we might be a community that fosters leadership in our young. We pray in our businesses and in our social communities around us that we might support those that will come after us. 
perhaps even put them above us so that we can help the generation to come lead and that set examples and provide care for them. So as we reflect on our own journeys and the people that have been there in our relationships and in our lives, inspire us to be the same and let us lead together this thing called the church in the world. Amen.